Theologians, where we focus on making theology practical. I'm Andrew, and with me today I have Ferris and Josh. We are recording, as usual, from the San Greater Cristo Seminary from our one classroom. And today we're going to be doing kind of a, a little bit of a word study. Um, you may have noticed as you're studying the Bible and you're hearing different sermons and, and different theological circles. Sometimes some words come up that we don't have a clear definition on. And a lot of times we'll, we won't take the time to actually define them. We'll just assume that we have an idea of what they mean. Uh, but we might be surprised to see just how much clearer we can understand God's word when we have these, these words properly defined. So we're going to do uh, every now and then some podcasts on some of these words and kind of do a little bit of a word study. And today we're going to be talking about atonement what atonement is, why it's necessary, um, how it affects our faith. But before we get started, Ferris, why don't you just um, maybe share a little bit about what you've been doing this past week at St. Greta Crystal Seminary. What is life like at St. Greta Crystal Seminary on an average week? Uh, there's really not average weeks here. Um, I do anything in an average week from uh, milking goats to uh, parsing Hebrew verbs to uh, castrating pigs. Nice. So, and sometimes I chop wood. Yeah. Was there anything in particular? You no, know, no. I was just curious to let the listeners know kind of what an average week looks like, uh, if you want to call it that, but kind of what life is like here at San Greta Cristo. Uh, Josh, why don't you give us a little bit of a... Give us some information on... So we had Hebrew class, and it started off yesterday with a discussion on a piece of wood. Oh, yeah. Fatwood. Yeah. Fatwood. What's fatwood? Fat well, at first I thought it was wood for people like me, but it's not. Uh, it's, I guess it's wood that you can find in the woods that has been, um, the tree's been chopped off, so all the pitch comes up to, to get into the tree and in the spring finds that there's nowhere to go and the pitch stays in the stump. So then eventually the stump it is, all dies away and you can find this wood out there that's all dried up full of sap, and create a fire starter. This was the first part of our Hebrew class yep. the other day. So that information is probably helpful to about 1% of the people that may hear it. But hey, if you but li- if you live here... If you live here and you need to start a fire, <laughs> yep, that will be helpful. At how many feet up? 9,000 feet up 9,000 feet up, yeah. <laughs> if, if you see a tree that was cut down at 9,000 feet in the winter, uh, that might be helpful. But the reason I wanted to, to talk about that was just because it was interesting. That was the beginning of our Hebrew class. So... Um, it's a little like Ferris was saying, it's a little bit of everything here, which is really, it's really part of the fun of being here. Um, not only do we get to study God's word, but we have random farm life and living in the mountains and everything else that goes on also. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about atonement today. And the basic definition, especially in the Old Testament, of the word atonement when it's used is the idea of being exempted from punishment or having a punishment that you deserve being removed from you because it's been paid for, it's been atoned for, it's been covered. Um, Something has happened that has allowed you to be released from the punishment that you deserve. 
So that's kind of the basic usage of the word atone or atonement in the Old Testament. Uh, what do you guys have? What are some thoughts that you guys have on how uh, we can understand what is atonement or what is meant by the idea of atonement? Simple definition I looked up would be the means by which we are reconciled to God. It doesn't describe what atonement is It's it, as far as how it's done, but it does. that's kind of a definition of what the general idea is, recon, being reconciled to God. I think uh, we need to understand that we are sinners and that we have wronged God. We owe something to Him. And in order for us to be reconciled, there needs to be a payment made. Yeah. And that payment is called the atonement. So do you want to get into the Old Testament? Yeah, let's let's look a little bit, before we get into the New Testament, let's start in the Old Testament and just maybe talk a little bit more uh, in depth about how they understood atonement, um, you know, when we go through some of the books that really cover that, the sacrificial system. Yeah, well, Ferris brought up a good point regarding the Passover. I was going to talk about Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement, but we do have the Passover where um, you have this people group, in a, another people group inside a nation, right? So it's a nation in a nation where God says to kill a lamb, a perfect lamb, take his blood, put it on the doorposts and lentils, eat its flesh, don't leave anything. And then but the, the, the destroyer would come. Ferris, did you have something there? Ah, okay, destroyer will come, see the blood, and pass over the um, houses that that have this blood on their doorposts. And, and the idea was that this would be the means by which God would um, bring his people out of Egypt and not destroy their firstborns. It was the idea of a firstborn for a firstborn. It was a great exchange, as it were, where an innocent lamb that had not done anything wrong was killed for people living in the midst of um, slavery and bondage. Um, Ferris, did you want to add anything to that? Think you're doing all right? All right. So we have blood that by which people are covered, so that they are not punished in the Passover. Coming to the Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, Israel uh, Israel's there on the Day of Atonement, and the priest, the high priest, first makes sacrifices for himself and goes through a cleansing ritual, and then. Um, puts blood on the altar and all that. Um, it's quite a ritual. But uh, there are two goats brought to the high priest. And one of those goats, the hands are placed on the goat, and the sins of the people are representatively, representative? Yeah, placed upon that goat. And that goat is, is the scapegoat, taken outside the camp to wander in the wilderness, bearing the sins of the people away from the camp. The other goat is the... Goat that is killed, and the blood atones for the sin of the people. Um, so a perfect goat is brought. The sins of the people are representatively placed upon that goat. That goat is slain, and and um, so we have the element of death for sin taking place, as well as bearing sin away from the people of God. And that uh, nation of Israel was given that atonement as God's people. And we see that as a picture of Christ being given to us as as the means by which we're reconciled to God. So the Day of Atonement, the priest had to be, um, the high priest had to be cleansed with blood. 
Then the sins of the people had to be cleansed with blood, and the sins of the people were borne away from the camp. Um, so much, so much. This is so much worse than what we have now. Back in the Old Testament, you had all this rigmarole you had to go to, which for that time was probably a good thing, pointing them to Christ. But, but the yearly, they had to do it yearly, and we were told in the New Testament, of course, that the bull, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, which was made obvious to those people back then, and so. That is that was the picture of the perfect work of reconciliation that Christ brings in his death for sin. He was also crucified outside the camp. He bore sin of the people outside the camp as he was crucified out there in Golgotha. Um, and, but we also see him as a high priest that doesn't need to be cleansed by the blood of a bull. And he doesn't need to be washed by the waters of the, um, the laver. He is the perfect high priest who intercedes always perfectly for his people. Um, so reconciling us to God perfectly. There you go. Um, so let's let's kind of just kind of dissect a little bit what you were talking about there. Let's go back. Uh, I think that's a really good overall summary of what we're looking at when we discuss the idea of atonement, biblically speaking. But let's go back and... Um, Let's kind of work through that systematically. So beginning in the Old Testament, we have this sacrificial system. And over and over again, we read that the priest that needs to do this, this, or this, depending on what's been, what sin has been uh, partaken in, there's a, a certain procedure that needs to be, that the priest needs to uh, perform, a certain sacrifice that needs to be made. And over and over again, it says the priest will make atonement for your sin or the priest will atone for your sin based on the sacrifice that he's doing. So what is happening there? Is there is there a penalty that that person is supposed to endure that they're not that they're now not going to endure uh, or experience because of the atonement that the priest has made looking specifically at the Old Testament now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what happens to the person that isn't doesn't have their sins atoned for? They're cut off from the people of God. They're placed outside the people of God away from the presence of God, which was dwelling in the tabernacle at that mm-hmm. and, at that time, and the temple. Um, so that's what we can see what happens to people. Who yeah. are not. But also, we see a picture of those people who are not reconciled to God in the goats. Sent yeah. out into the wilderness, you mean? So the goat, yeah. yeah. Sent out into the wilderness and killed. Burned up completely because of God's consuming wrath as he is a holy God. So, um, so that... That helps us see, so because God was present in the nation of Israel, he dwelt among them, it says he dwelt, you know, in their camp. There needed to be some type of atonement that would remove from them the penalty that they should, uh, that they should experience for their sin, right? And while we know that, like you you mentioned in in the New Testament, it tells us that uh, this sacrificial system never actually forgave sins in the sense that someone could be eternally reconciled to God. It does seem that in a sense it, um, it postponed or it stayed the, the judgment of God uh, so that he could dwell among them. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. Um, yeah. I wish I knew my confession backward and forward, but the confession nicely addresses that. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. Okay. So then we move into the New Testament, and this will bring us to our second point. So we kind of see that this idea that atonement in the Old Testament is talking about uh, n- allowing someone to not experience the judgment of God that they deserve for a sin that they have committed. 
And then we move into the New Testament, and we can talk about, so why today, we don't live in the sacrificial system, and you kind of addressed this in your summary, we don't live in the sacrificial system of Israel, so why today do I need to care about atonement? Why is atonement necessary for me today living outside of the nation of Israel? Well, I think it goes back to the fact that even though we are outside of the nation of Israel, all of us were created by God. And we are, in some sense, in relation to God. Uh, Even if we're not believers, we either stand before him as those... Well, we all stand before him as those who are to be judged by him. And considering how it is we um, would be reconciled to him, um, the fact that we have sinned, how, how can I be made right with God? And I, th- I think that's a very important question everybody needs to ask. Yeah. How is it that we can approach a holy God? So, first of all, Romans 1 talks about the fact that creation testifies to God's power and that he deserves to be worshipped. And, and then his word tells us of the means and the particulars of how we are to worship him, but also um, how we are to worship him, but... A lot of it has to do with how we are to approach him and how we are even able to approach him. And I think the, um, the, the key is, if we understand that God is a holy God, he is to be feared as God in the sense that he, he is perfectly not like us in the sense of our being unrighteous and unholy. Um, he would consume us. If we have an understanding that God really would, he would consume us with his holy wrath, but holiness, if we didn't have some sort of a way to be brought into his presence. The, so the, it's essential to understand atonement as far as how, we're, how are we made right with God if we really understand who God is. And I think if you want to be, uh, I, I don't know how picky we could get on how much you need to know to be a Christian, but if you truly understand the work of Christ, you're, you're truly going to understand that God is a holy God and you are not a holy human. So, if I'm, if I'm someone that's new to Christianity or that hasn't really studied out this idea of atonement, and I've lived a pretty good life, I've tried to treat people well, I've, I've tried to treat my family well, haven't done anything overly uh, terribly wrong, Um what do I, so we talked about atonement removing, in a sense, what someone deserves, basically uh, releasing them from the penalty that they deserve, right? And in my mind, I don't think that I deserve anything negative. I've tried to be good. I've done the best I can. Uh, how does the understanding of atonement, or why do I need to understand atonement if I don't think that I really have anything that needs to be removed from me? I don't really have a penalty that needs to be removed from me. I've never done anything that terrible. What what do we deserve, Ferris? Well, I think before we can answer that, there's there's really two questions we need to consider. Uh, you'd mentioned, I think, I feel, I don't think, I don't feel. Um, the reference there is related to yourself. How do you think? How do you feel? And, <laughs> and who cares? <laughs> yes. Um we, we live in a, a place where we think that the ultimate reference is us. 
We are the measure of knowledge. We are the measure of truth. But we live in a created world where the most important question isn't who am I? That question can only be answered to the first question we should ask, and that is who is God? And what makes us think we're big enough to actually ask or say who that I'm I'm the king? What what, what lunacy? If you look at creation, how could you think you're that significant? Really, I, I I'm always puzzled by that. But I I mean I can't say I've not done it. I'm just puzzled by why we do it. Go ahead. Just the other day you were telling us how great you were. Yeah. <laughs> just the other day. Why not today? <laughs> this morning. And I think ultimately it has to do with how does God has revealed himself? Um, how do we see God revealing himself in the scriptures? Is he a laid back God who considers himself a little less significant than us or our equals? And he uh, has no demands or rights over us. Is that how God presents himself in the scriptures? No. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, he gave man charges. He gave them care of the garden, guard and keep it, which means also protect it from the encroachment of the serpent, by the way. But he also gave him instructions for the two trees, one to eat, actually all of them to eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, especially the prohibition, do not eat this tree, to, to show that even though Adam was created the pinnacle of creation and the king of creation, in a sense, he is subservient to the king. And there's a term for Adam's kingship. Uh, it's not under king. Uh, vice regent? Vice regent, yes. Yeah. God is the king there. Even at the very beginning of creation, he declares himself to be king. So he is the creator. He is the king. And uh, he has a, a certain significance to him. Um, uh, being our creator, being our ruler. And that has to define me in a particular way in relation to him. So what am I in relation to him? I guess I don't mean to be answering, asking all the questions, but it's sure easier than answering them. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. What is man that you are mindful of him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think, I think, um, Basically, what you guys are saying, when, when we realize who God is, the holiness that characterizes God, and who God has revealed himself to be in his word, uh, we're left with, in, in trying to define who we are, we're left with, uh, we are wretched human beings, and we do deserve something. Uh, we deserve eternal damnation because of who we are, in light of God's holiness, we have miserably failed uh, at doing anything that would that would remove our own guilt from us, or that would somehow uh, reconcile us to God on our own. We have failed in every way possible. Uh, so we do deserve something, regardless of how well we have, we think we have performed in this life. Uh, we have failed miserably. So the atonement then that we is necessary for us today, it's necessary for us to understand it because when the Bible speaks of atonement for a believer, what it, what we're talking about is what you deserve. God's wrath has been removed from you. And that's important for us to understand. So let's move on to our third point. Then if I'm going to understand this point or this idea that the Bible puts forth that 
when it speaks of atonement for me as a believer, it's it's saying that my deserved punishment has been removed from me. How does that affect my faith when I properly understand that? May I cheat on this? There's no I, cheating. I have Whatever. a bridged book, uh, The Glory of Christ. John Owen is the author. And thankfully, it's a bridge so that I can understand it. But here's how it affects our faith. Here's why it's important to understand the atonement <clears throat> for understanding the glory of Christ. Um, let's see here. What shall we say to these things? That God did not spare his son, but gave him up to death and all the sufferings associated with that death for such poor lost sinners. That for our sakes, the eternal son of God should submit himself to all that our sinful natures were liable to and our sins deserve that we might be delivered. How glorious the Lord Jesus Christ in the eyes of believers. When Adam sinned, he stood ashamed, afraid, trembling, as one ready to perish forever under the severe displeasure of God. Death was what he deserved, and he fully expected the sentence to be immediately carried out. In this state, the Lord Christ in the promise comes to him and says, Poor creature, how terrible is your condition! How deformed you are now! What has become of the beauty, the glory of that image of God in which you were created? See how you have taken upon yourself the monstrous shape and image of Satan? And yet your present sorrow, your physical return to dust and darkness, is in no way to be compared with what is to follow. Eternal distress lies before you. But now, look up, and behold me, and you will have a glimpse of what infinite wisdom, love, and grace has pur- purposed for you. I will take your place. I will bear your guilt and suffer that punishment which would sink you eternally into the hideous depths of hell. I will pay for what I never took. I will be made a curse for you so that you will be eternally blessed. In the same vein, the Lord Christ speaks to all convicted sinners when he invites them to come to him. It's the glory of Christ's work as mediator that it's the, um, I mean, really, when we go to heaven, the glory of God will be infinitely satisfying to us. And here on earth, we look at the glory of man, these pitiful things we have here on earth as glorious in such a funny way, football games, football teams, sports, getting tickets to the Super Bowl, whatever it is, uh, getting some cool books. I don't know what your what your thing is. But compared to the glories of Christ, why, why wouldn't we seek that? So True. Um, as it relates to... Um, maybe somebody who who's not too familiar with the scriptures, or or with uh, you know how how we might think about the scriptures when we talk about atonement and how it affects our faith. Uh, we talked about there needing to be a payment, um, and that we have sinned against God, and there is a payment that needs to be made. And I think uh, an important thing to consider is well. How much does that cost? What, how much needs to be paid? And then when I've thought about how much actually needs to be paid, I think the next question is, do I have the ability to pay that back? And that is really... How much needs to be paid? Well... How infinite is God? That's how much needs to be paid, right? mm -hmm. And so, could any human pay that all in Adam are dead all in Christ are made alive but Adam in Adam we are condemned as sinners even though we did not commit the sin of Adam 
in his, we are made in his, um, covenantally we are seen in his, in his being sinful. We are sinful in him covenantally. So even if we uh, die as a child, an infant, and I don't want to get into the salvation of infants here, but let's just, that infant is as much in Adam and sinful as a person who lives 90 years and create, commits all the sins of the world. That Those two people are both equally as sinful in Adam. And sure, each person commits different sins in addition to that, but um, we're made... We're, we're, we're born of Adam. We can't get out of that. We need somebody perfect to come in the place of Adam who is not of Adam or in Adam and and make a perfect sacrifice for us, which... which mm-hmm. But that wouldn't even be enough if it was a human, would it? Just, just who could bear the infinite wrath of God but mm-hmm. the God-man? Yeah. I cannot go back in time and undo what I've done... And I cannot, if, if I were to never sin for the rest of my life, uh, could I, by not sinning, by doing everything that's right, then pay for my sin? No. No, Pelagius. Well, why not? Um, yeah, it's not about what you've done, it's about who you are. Right? You are, you're not guilty before God because of what you've done. You're guilty and deserving of penalty because of your nature, because of who you are, because of uh, because you are of the lineage of Adam. Uh, so even if you were able to not sin from birth, uh, you're still guilty before God because you've inherited that guilt. Uh, so I think to summarize kind of what you guys have been saying, uh, we are all guilty before God. We cannot pay the penalty that's owed. We can't remove the penalty from us. We don't have the ability. We don't have the means to remove ourselves from our penalty or to distance ourselves from the penalty that we deserve. So uh, would I be correct in saying then that when someone comes to a proper understanding of atonement, it allows them to live their lives uh, with confidence? Do you guys Maybe even aimed at the right target. Aimed at the right target. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to glorify Josh? Trying to glorify... Ferris, trying to glorify Andrew. Are you seeking which whose glory are you seeking? I think, yeah. So yeah, that's exactly right. So it's important if you haven't studied out atonement, and if this podcast hasn't really helped you understand it, but it's kind of um, giving you a little bit of an interest to study it deeper. It's important. It's critical for the Christian to understand uh, what atonement means. What's being implied by the idea of atonement, and what's what are we being taught by the idea of atonement in Scripture? Because without a proper understanding, there's, we will have the tendency to try to earn our own atonement uh, through how we live. And when we have a proper understanding of atonement, we are freed from that bondage of trying to make our own atonement and resting in the reality that Christ has completely removed the penalty that we deserve so that we can live our lives in confidence and, like Josh said, aimed at the right target. So we'll bring this podcast to a close, but before... Uh, before we do, do you guys have any uh, resources that someone might go to that would maybe help them understand a little bit more about this, uh, the biblical topic of atonement? Why, yes, I do, Andrew. <laughs> I thought you might, Josh. What do you have? <laughs> well, we talked about Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. It's a classic work, and it is a little bit heady, but it's it's great. Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Yep, that's really good. Then we have another classic that's also... 
quite difficult to read, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ by John Owen. However, <clears throat> if you're going to get that book, get the one with the forward from J.I. Packer in it. It's pretty good. Um, a book that's a compilation of articles that's really excellent and easier to read. Shorter articles, so usually that's a little bit easier to concentrate on. From Heaven He Came and Sought Her, Definite Atonement in Historical, Biblical, Theological, and Pastoral Perspective by, well, the editors are Jonathan and David Gibson. That's an excellent work. It's a nice thick book with a lot of different guys writing in it about the atonement. And then if you want to see some anti-limited atonement stuff, you can always check out Against Calvinism by Roger E. Olson. <laughs> it's always good. <laughs> if you um, just kind of want a basic ABC's understanding of atonement, a good resource for that and some other things is 20 Things Every Christian Should Know by Wayne Grudem. And uh, that's just essentially kind of... Uh, Christianity 101 for the average person to be able to pick up and understand somewhat. You know, we should recommend The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, too. I yeah. mean, really understanding really God's holiness yeah. really brings out the yeah. value of the atonement, the necessity of the atonement. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good book. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I hope that uh, you've come to a little bit better understanding of what atonement is and how it affects your faith, how it applies to your life. Uh, and until next time, see you later. Peace out. see what we're doing right now. No one can see what we're doing. Except us in this room. There is just a massive cloud of smoke that is coming from our furnace because our seminary is actually that cool that we have... Is it a furnace? You want to tell how somebody... Stove. Is from the city? We call the stove a furnace. I'm a city boy.